there is a definition of shame that keeps coming up in my studies that I, for a long time, didn't understand. And I finally think I've gotten a grasp of it. And I want to explain it because it really gets into a more detailed and granular look at what shame really is, what the basic units of shame are. Getting Discomfortable With, The Interpersonal Bridge The definition comes from a clinical psychologist named Gershon Kaufman, who wrote the book Shame, The Power of Caring, all the way back in 1980. He also wrote The Psychology of Shame in 1986, and he wrote Coming Out of Shame in 1996, which was a book about overcoming shame in order to come out of the closet. Gershon Kaufman's definition of shame is the breaking of the interpersonal bridge. And so for a long time, I was like, well, what is the interpersonal bridge? What does that even mean? And how do you break it? Well, as you may have heard in previous episodes, I'm currently studying shame at the Center for Healing Shame in Berkeley. One of the concepts that I have been learning a lot about in these courses is called attunement. Attunement is an interplay between people in which they match each other's affect and create a kind of sense of understanding and connection. So if I say something to someone and I I express some feelings, attunement is achieved when I feel like they have really heard me and reacted with some kind of appropriate reaction that says, I get where you're coming from. I, I sense it empathetically and I appreciate it. A very basic level of attunement is when a baby smiles at a parent and a parent smiles back. That is attunement. And what Gershon Kaufman is saying about shame is that when you are expecting attunement and you don't receive it, that is the break in what he calls the interpersonal bridge. Having attunement with someone creates this kind of intersubjective bridge between you and them that says we're connected, we see each other, we understand each other, we're empathizing, and we're also kind of engaging in an interplay, a back and forth. It's not just about mirroring each other exactly. It's about this kind of appropriate interchange of feelings, reactions, and potentially even words. Every time we connect with someone, we create an interpersonal bridge through the act of attunement. And Gershon Kaufman is suggesting that every time we do not receive attunement, there is a break in the interpersonal bridge, and that break is shame. There's a kind of social expectation We say a joke to someone, and we have an expectation that they're going to smile or laugh or approve. But when they frown at us, that is misattunement. We are no longer on the same page. Our expectations to receive pleasure through attunement and connection have been broken, and that creates the unpleasant feeling that is shame. So the baby smiles at the parent and the parent is distracted and doesn't smile back, and the baby's expectations for attunement, connection, and pleasure are thwarted, and the baby goes into shame. 
the feeling that, oh, I am not connecting with other humans. I am different. I am bad. I am alone. Shame, shame, shame. So attunement is kind of like the basic unit of connection and shame. When we get it, it feels amazing, and we are more likely to survive because we are really attuned and connected with our caregivers and with our community. And when we don't get it, we are suddenly in danger of being forgotten, of being neglected, of being judged, scorned, ridiculed, mocked, and rejected. So shame comes up, trying to protect us from these horrible, unpleasant fates that back when we were hunter-gatherers would certainly have led to our death. I also think that attunement is very much connected with our concept of respect and dignity. So much of being respected and feeling dignified is about being seen and feeling that people understand us and hold our feelings and needs with appropriate care. Because if they don't hold our feelings and needs with appropriate care, then once again, we are in danger of being forgotten, being judged, being rejected, all of those dangerous things that lead to shame. What's interesting about misattunement and the breaking of the interpersonal bridge is that it is actually kind of a good thing. In these courses I'm taking on shame, the therapists talk a lot about rupture and repair. When we have a misattunement or a break in the interpersonal bridge, that's considered a rupture, and it's very unpleasant, especially for children. It leads to shame. But when you repair that rupture, the interpersonal bridge gets stronger. So it's not about being the perfect parent who can always attune with the demands of your child. And it's not about being the perfect friend or lover who is always attuned with the emotional feelings of your partner or community. But it's about noticing when there has been a break, when there has been a misattunement, and repairing that rupture. Because by noticing it and by repairing it, you build an even stronger bond than you had before. In fact, any couple that never fights, that never has a rupture, is actually skating on very thin ice. They're on shaky, fragile ground. As soon as there is some kind of big upset in the future, they will probably completely explode because they're not equipped to deal with rupture repair. So it's actually a lot healthier to have some conflict, to see misattunement and breaks in the interpersonal bridge, you know, like fights and disagreements and misunderstandings, as these great opportunities to repair and build an even stronger foundation. It's just like going to the gym. What you're literally doing is tearing apart your muscles so that they grow back bigger and stronger. We want to do the exact same thing with our relationships rupture, repair. And it's the same with children. It's, it's impossible to completely attune with your child. They just want to smile and gurgle and, you know, do baby things. And we as adults have responsibilities. But as long as you're able to notice those moments of rupture and repair them, then you're actually building a stronger relationship. And of course, we can't do this all the time. That, that would be impossible. But if more often than not, we as caregivers or partners, or friends, or community members, notice the ruptures and try to repair them as best we can, then we are building a much stronger relationship than if we never had any rupture at all. 
So it's interesting to think that shame is an opportunity to strengthen a relationship if it is dealt with appropriately. If you invite the person who was shamed back into the relationship, back into the group. And when you understand the concept of attunement, you can start to consciously be aware of it. You can start to make an effort to attune more when you're in a conversation or in a relationship. In therapy, our therapists are constantly trying to attune with us. It's a very powerful way of connecting and joining with their client and building up their resources, their, their sense of strength. And you can do that too in your daily life. It's about giving your attention, your focus, your empathy, getting your mirror neurons locked in with someone in that moment and kind of working together to create this interplay. And sometimes you'll notice that you are attuning with them, but they are not attuning with you. And this is called a lack of pendulation. Pendulation is, you know, just what it sounds like, a pendulum swinging back and forth in equal measure between two parties. So when you go on one of those dates, and I have been on a lot of these dates, where the person just keeps talking and talking about themselves, and you're just sort of reacting and reacting and reacting, you're in a situation where there is a lack of pendulation. And pendulation is very healthy. Pendulation creates that sense of equality, that sense of connection. It builds the interpersonal bridge. In fact, pendulation is rooted in attunement. And I've actually found that the words attunement and pendulation have a lot of utility when you are dealing with people who are not pendulating and not attuned. If I'm hanging out with someone and they're doing all the talking, instead of being like, ah, you talk too much, which would be really shaming, I can say, you know, our conversation is lacking in pendulation. It's kind of all in your court, and I really desire for it to pendulate back and forth between us. That's the most satisfying and healthy way for a conversation to operate, for any relationship to operate. In fact, just as an aside, pendulation is also a concept that you can use internally. We as humans are supposed to pendulate between different states as opposed to just sort of being mired in sadness, for example. If we are mired in one feeling or one state, that can lead to a kind of depression or a kind of stuckness. So pendulation describes how our mood should be shifting and we should be feeling different emotions. We should be going in and out of emotion and cognitive. We should be joining with other people, but also pendulating into individual personal time. So it's a really, it's a really useful concept, pendulation. And when I tell someone, hey, this conversation is not pendulating enough, they're usually like, oh, cool, yeah, let's pendulate more. Sorry, I just got really focused on this thing. Yeah, like, what's your reaction? Let's pendulate back and forth. It, it allows the conversation to evolve in a satisfying way without necessarily blaming them or shaming them by saying they talk too much or they are a narcissist. It's like, hey, let's co-create a better conversation here. And the same is true for attunement. I often find that I will tell someone something sensitive about myself in an effort to create connection. So what I am looking for when I share something vulnerable is empathy. I'm hoping that they will say something like, oh, I totally get that and I relate. 
But sometimes when I share vulnerable information in an attempt to connect, someone comes back with advice. This is very common. We all do this. But that is not what I'm looking for, and it doesn't create connection. It creates a hierarchy. Suddenly it feels like they are holding themselves a few steps above me on the fictional hierarchy of human value, and I don't feel connected. It's not creating that satisfying interpersonal bridge, and it's not creating attunement. So I can actually say to the person, I'm feeling like we're a bit misattuned. And they're like, oh, what does that mean? And it's an opportunity for me to say, you know, I was sharing that vulnerable piece of information, not because I wanted advice. I was actually looking to connect with you empathetically and see if you could relate to me. And once again, this is just a gentler way of saying to someone, you fucked up. (laughs) So they don't have to feel like they're a bad person, again, who's narcissistic or holding themselves above other people. I can just say, like, I was looking for something and I didn't quite receive it. And, you know, how could you have known? You're not psychic. But it created a break in attunement. And um, I'm just wondering if you can actually just give me what I'm looking for. You would be blown away by how often you can get what you want by just bloody asking for it in plain English. You know what I was really looking for here was empathy or connection. I mean, that's pretty much what we are all looking for all the time, empathy and connection. And you can just sense it sometimes. Like sometimes I'm talking to someone and I'm sensing that we're misattuned. And I'm like, can, can we just check in? Like, am I kind of off base here? Am, am I being, am I giving too much advice? Which is something that I do all the time, give too much advice. And I can create an opportunity for them to clue me in on why we're not feeling attuned. Why the, you know, the, the, the relationship just doesn't feel connected or, or comfortable somehow. And I'm often surprised to hear that they're, you know, on a completely different wavelength than I am. And I am, I am more than happy to kind of join them where they're at or create a middle ground where we can connect. Because once again, we all kind of want the same thing, which is connection. And another thing that I love about the concept of the interpersonal bridge is that I feel like once I've established an interpersonal bridge with someone, I always have it, even if they are no longer there. You know, I was just traveling for over two and a half years, having all these great but short-lived connections with people, strangers all over the world. And there's something kind of sad about feeling like, oh, what if I never see that person again? We had such a beautiful connection. But then I'm like, we still have our connection. We still have the interpersonal bridge. Even if I am never going to see them again, I will always have an interpersonal bridge with that person, stretching somewhere across the world, this intersubjective connection that may never get walked again except in my mind, but it still exists enough for me to feel satisfied that we created something. It's not exactly something that's real per se, except maybe in the neurological connection in both of our brains, that when we see each other, there is a pattern of neurons that meet and say, hey, it's this person, it's this connection, it's this relationship. 
I will always have those neural pathways, and they will always have their neural pathways associated with me. And when those two neural pathways ever meet again, they will light up in an interpersonal bridge. It's just something kind of delightful and soothing to know that my interpersonal bridge with all of these people is this kind of infinite idea that always exists, and I will always have it, even if I never get to interact with that person again. Even if they die, I always have my interpersonal bridge with that person. I mean, it's kind of meta, but I just I get a lot of joy and comfort out of that thought. Another interesting point about attunement is that some children grow up receiving little to no attunement from their parents at all, and this can create chronic shame. They grow up being conditioned to feel like there just isn't an opportunity for connection with other human beings. And then as adults, they find it very hard to connect with other people. The sense of trust and belief in the interpersonal bridge has just been deeply undermined or even destroyed. And in those cases, what they often need is a therapist or a friend, a partner, who can give them unconditional attunement. You know, you you go to therapy a few times a week and you express yourself and you have a trained professional who is just able to completely empathize, connect, join, mirror, and be attuned with everything that you are giving them to slowly build up a sense of trust and belief in connection in this client who has chronic shame. And that's a different kind of shame than what I grew up with. I had a lot of attunement growing up. I had a great family and and lots of friends and a great community. But I had shame around this dark secret of being gay, which is a, a different kind of shame than someone who grew up with a misattunement. And I've actually met people who have a really strong sense of self, a sense of self-acceptance, a sense of self-love, but have a really difficult time connecting with other people. And these are the people whose shame has been created probably by misattunement as a child, chronic misattunement. On the other hand, I had lots of attunement. I have a strong ability to connect with people. But because of this deep, dark secret of being gay, I had a lot of self-loathing. So it's sort of like two polar opposites of shame. I was desperate to connect with people because inside I didn't love myself. Meanwhile, in these other chronic shames, they love themselves and they have a strong sense of self and strength and identity, but they are unable to connect with other people. So I just think it's fascinating that shame can manifest in these two different forms and it needs to be treated in two different ways. For me, it was about building up my relationship with myself. And for them, it's about building up trust and relationship with other people. In both sides, there is a question of unconditional acceptance, unconditional love, unconditional attunement that is needed. For me, it's unconditional acceptance, love, and attunement with myself. And for the chronic shamer who grew up without any attunement, it's about building up that sense of unconditional acceptance with other people.
So as you go about your day-to-day life interacting with people, notice moments of misattunement and recognize that that is, in fact, the building block of shame. You might even notice a tiny pang of unpleasantness in your stomach when someone doesn't laugh at your joke or even the tiniest little strange look on the street or something like that. Anything that is not what you were expecting, not the connection you were hoping for, anything that thwarts your sense of expected pleasure, that will create a tiny bit of shame inside of you. That's the building block of shame. And if you can notice that, you can start to get a sense of how shame is ever present. We are always doing this dance of shame with other people, trying to attune with them, trying to get them to attune with us, trying to figure out, do they like me? Do they accept me? That's all about the interpersonal bridge. It's all about that sense of attunement. So shame is everywhere, all the time, regulating all of our social interactions. It's omnipresent. Everything is built on top of shame. That's my perspective anyway. And with that in mind, you can also make a more concerted effort to build more interpersonal bridges. Even if you know that you're never going to see this person again, you can build a sense of attunement, which is a really healthy way to help other people not feel shame. You can build interpersonal bridges everywhere you go. With every stranger you meet, it's an opportunity to help them feel less shame, to create this sense of attunement, this interpersonal bridge that, though it may be fleeting, is something that you kind of get to carry with you forever. And I love that idea, talking to strangers, interacting with people, creating that counter-shaming, they call it, when you're, when you're helping people avoid shame. It's called counter-shaming. Going around counter-shaming people by attuning with them, by empathizing with them, by creating a bridge is just like putting out peace and love into the world everywhere you go. You are making everyone you meet feel better by seeing them, by empathizing with them, no matter how brief. That is just like a really powerful way to change the world every step of the way in terms of how you exist in the world as a counter-shaming presence for everyone. So it's not just about nurturing the most important relationships in your life. It's about trying to have that sense of mini little counter-shaming, attunement, interpersonal bridge building with everyone. Why not? How great would it be to go around helping everyone feel a little bit less shame all the time? Keep in mind that we were designed through evolution to exist in groups of 150 people. And we probably rarely ever even saw any other humans. And when we did, it triggered our in-group and out-group bias. So they were always like the enemy. So we lived our entire lives surrounded by a really tight group of kin. And we knew all of them. We can know 150 people quite well. So when we lived our lives, we were attuned, connected, and had an interpersonal bridge with almost every human that we interacted with all the time, our whole lives. Think about how counter-shaming that would have been. And when you did feel shame in that setting, you knew that it was really important. It was shame about worrying that you were losing the most important relationships in your entire life. 
the community that literally kept you alive, your kin, your family. But now we live in a world where we interact with strangers on an absurdly common basis. We are not designed to see strangers as often as we do. That was not part of our evolution. So we can now feel shamed by a complete stranger who we will never meet again with the same power as if it was the most important relationships in our lives, our kin. We can walk down the street and get a nasty look from a complete stranger, and it will send us into shame, which will trigger our threat response, as if our very life is in danger, when really, it means nothing. We live in this world of complete shame over stimulus all the time. Strangers on the internet can make us feel shame. So I I can't impress upon you enough the importance of trying to create a little bit of attunement, a bit of respect and dignity with every single person you see and interact with, because that is the expectation that we were designed with through evolution, that we would have attunement with pretty much every human we ever interacted with. That is how we are designed to exist. That is how we are supposed to have a natural sense of well-being. And we are living in a very different world. So I think that we can all do each other a favor by trying to give that basic sense of respect and attunement and attention to every single human, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done, no matter whether we're ever going to see them again. That is the world that we are designed to live in, and it will increase their well-being, which will increase your well-being. As a social animal, our sense of well-being is interconnected, and when other people are suffering, it impacts us. So this, is, this isn't altruistic in any way. This is completely selfish. By improving the well-being of everyone you interact with, you are improving your own well-being as well. I think that is the nature of a social animal. We are all interconnected in that way. And when you countershame someone, you are countershaming yourself. When you are improving someone's sense of attunement and well-being, you are improving your own sense of connection to the community, and you are improving your own sense of well-being as a social animal.